This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is Frank Juan. I'm 24 years old. I'm a Sichungu Lakota, born and raised on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. And I'm a hip hop artist, producer, and performer. When I was just a little baby boy, my mama used to tell me these crazy things. She used to tell me my daddy was an evil man. She used to tell me he hated me. But then I got a little bit older and I realized she was the crazy one. But there was nothing I could do or say to try to change it, cause that's just the way she was. They said I can't rap about being broke no more. So I grew up out on the reservation, out in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota. Very far removed from any sort of hip-hop centers, really. But it's funny that uh, hip-hop is a music and a culture that really resonates with reservation youth, particularly my age group, millennials. So I grew up listening to country music, and that's mostly what's played on the radio stations back home. But all my cousins were listening to uh, gangster rap, you know, during Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, that era. So it was around me, but I never really had a personal experience or a relatable moment with hip hop until uh, one evening. I was walking on a gravel road with my mother. We'd go on walks in the evening time. And we were walking and I seen the sun reflect off of something in the corner of the road because it caught my attention. I walked over and seen what it was and it was a CD laying face down. The sun had reflected off it. I picked it up and it was very, very scratched up. I turned it over and it was all white and the only thing on it was a backwards E. So what the hell is this? I never owned a CD. I didn't, I didn't even own a CD player personally at that point. This was of course before MP3s and before we had internet back home. So I took the CD home, I found a CD player. I didn't even think it was gonna play, I put it in. And it was Eminem's Marshall Mathers LP. Bitch, I'ma kill you like a murder weapon. I'ma conceal you in a closet with do sheets, pillows, and film you. Fuck with me. I've been through hell. Shut the hell up. I'm trying to develop the pictures of the devil to sell them. I ain't asked to rap, but I rap on acid. Got a new blow ball and just had a strap on at it. Whoops, is that a subliminal hit? No. It's criminal intent to sodomize women again. Eminem offend? No. Eminem on the soul. And if you ever give it to him, you'll give him an impulse to do it again. Then, if he does it again, you'll probably end up jumping out of something up in the tent. Bitch, I'ma kill you. I ain't done this, ain't the course. So imagine a, I was in sixth grade, so a 12 year old boy never really having any sort of connection to any type of music and then I turn on the Marshall Mathers LP. And at that point in my life I was going through a lot of uh, internal stuff dealing with you know my father and my mother split up when I was four years old. I witnessed some domestic violence, you know growing up in a very poor place there was alcohol, there was drugs around, gangs, a lot of violence. You know, a lot of stuff that I couldn't really make sense of at that age. But when I turned on the Marshall Mathers LP, it was like Eminem was telling my story. It's like something I could relate directly to, you know, when he was talking about troubles he had with his parents and growing up in Detroit, I could relate to everything he was saying. And it was the first time in my life 
that I had something like that happen and experience like that. No why I say these things, cause ladies screams keep creeping in shady's dreams and the way things seem I shouldn't have to pay these shrinks and say G's the week to say the same things twice twice whatever I hate these things Fuck shots I hope the weed will outweigh these drinks Motherfuckers want me to come on their radio shows just to argue with them cause their ratings stink Fuck that I show radio announcer the bouncer It's funny whenever I was with my cousins and they were listening to that music, it was only particularly one cousin of mine, he had his own car, he had his own sound system, so whenever I was hearing the music, it was just bass because he had subwoofers in the back. So I didn't really get to hear the lyrics or you know, have like an intimate experience with it. Anytime I was around it, it was just, you know, in his car blasting with, with bass rattling my ears in the back of my neck. So, you know, I'd heard of Eminem. I was kind of familiar with, you know, all these artists, but not until that point did I ever having an intimate one-on-one -on -one connection with the music. Every element of that album struck me. You know, I consider that his greatest album. Just the production, the lyricism, the dexterity of his flow, like it was just, and at that point, like, I, I didn't really have critical listening skills enough to pick it apart like I pick music apart now. So I was just taking it in as a whole. It was a powerful experience for me, you know, as a total package, it was effective in conveying his emotions that he was feeling and making me feel the same thing. And to this day, that's something that I still try to do. Yeah, I may be talking about indigenous issues or indigenous rights or things that are particular to my community, but if I appeal to a basic human emotion and can convey that, then people of no matter their background can empathize and relate to that music that I'm creating. So I was born and raised on the reservation. Um, I never really lived off the res until I was 18 and went away to college. You know, I had a scholarship. I first left, I went to Creighton University in Omaha where I studied pre-med for two years because uh, I had this amazing scholarship, this full ride scholarship of the Gates Millennium Scholarship. So everyone in my community and my family and around me, you know, was saying, you know, give this amazing opportunity, use this, you know, do something good, come back and help your people, be a lawyer, be a doctor, you know, all these kind of uh, glorified paths in education. No one sat me down and said, what's your passion? Study what you want to do, what do you want to do? Which was music, but I didn't realize it at that time. I left the res and thought I wanted to be a doctor. I knew I wanted to help my people, I just didn't realize I could help my people by following my dream and with my passion, which was music. Just some context, my reservation, the Rosewood Sioux Tribe, is about the size of Rhode Island. We have about um, 12,000 members living on the res, and we are considered a sovereign nation. We have our own government, our own constitution, our own um, political structure. We have president, vice president, representatives, and there's also a lot of uh, stuff that we grow up in on the res that I didn't realize was very unique, like say our culture, just how people interact, and also the, the bad parts. The, uh, 80% unemployment, the, uh, the dropout rate, the violence, the gangs, the drugs, the alcohol, the rape, all that sort of stuff I didn't realize was um, unique until I left the res and went away to college and it was culture shock.
wind blows where it will. Um, I went to Creighton, which is a private Jesuit university. I went from went from my high school where I was valedictorian, smartest kid in my class without trying, to Creighton where I was one of the dumbest kids in the class. When I left the res and went away to Creighton was the first time I really realized that financially, economically, I was poor. You know, I didn't realize that not everyone lives like we do on the res because it's just the environment you grow up in and if you never leave, you don't have any measurement or any form of context. You know, you just think, well, this is life. And then even when I came to Chicago, it was even more of a culture shock. So I did two years at Creighton studying pre-med, realized I did not want to be a doctor, took a year off, went home back to the res and just put everything I had into music. I still had my studio, I was still making music and I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna just do what makes me happy, forget what everyone thinks I should do, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, which was make music. And I started making music with some cousins of mine back home and we started performing back home, we started getting songs on radio station back home and that year off is when I won my first ever Native American Music Award for Best Producer, that was in 2010. And then I came to Columbia in Chicago the next year and that was a whole nother culture shock within itself because I've never really lived or spent time in a big city like Chicago. And I remember the first time I got in the elevator at the UC downtown where I lived. It was very first week here in Chicago. I got on the elevator. This girl gets on the elevator with me and she said, you have really pretty hair. Cause you know, I have long hair. I said, thank you. I'm, I'm Native American, I'm Lakota. And she looked at me confused and she said, you guys are still alive. And you know, and I've, I experienced that a lot more in Chicago because it's a bigger city. But I never realized it happened until I had that experience on the elevator. I was listening to the voices of life, chanting in unison, carry on the struggle. The generations surged together in resistance to meet the reality of power. Mother Earth embraces her children and natural beauty to last beyond oppressor's brutality. As the butterfly floats into life, we are the spirit of natural life, which is forever. The power of understanding real connections to spirit is meaning our resistance our struggle is not sacrifice lost it is natural energy properly used so at the same time that that happened in the elevator i was taking a, a class at columbia my first semester there called culture race and media where we analyze the way people who are considered the other in american society are portrayed in popular media and we did a whole section on um, Native Americans. And I was the only Native American in that class. But I, I learned a term and an idea that explained what happened to me on the elevator is the term symbolic annihilation, which means that if a group of people are not, uh, not portrayed in popular media or portrayed as a culture of the past or a static culture, or you know, they're never shown as they are today to a lot of people who don't experience that that community or those type of people they're going to be dead you know so a lot of people are never going to go to a reservation a lot of people are never going to experience you know going to a community where there's native americans and so to a lot of people all they think they know about natives is what they see on tv 
which is, you know, old Westerns are, you know, we're always shown as a culture of the past, a dead culture. Even, you know, we're shown as mascots or Halloween costumes. We're never really shown as human beings. So, you know, I learned that term. I was taking that class and then I had the experience on the elevator and that completely changed the way that I wanted to approach my art, my performance, my music I was making. Whereas before that, it was just purely catharsis, just me talking about my feelings, getting these emotions out. I realized that I can um, use my music to speak out against those portrayals of natives in the media or, you know, to change our, our narrative take control of our story, tell my story, portray my, my community, my reservation, my people in a more complex and proper way. And fortunately, because of the internet and things like social media and YouTube, we're able to do that. And we really see it happening today in Native America with a lot of uh, Native American media makers taking our, our old traditions of storytelling and flipping them and doing it with these new forms of storytelling, digital storytelling, we, you know, we see it with music, we see it with film. So it was really cool for me to, to realize that I could be a part of that and to kind of own up to that and realize my responsibility as an indigenous media maker to help contribute to that narrative. One time, I was visiting with my relatives, the clouds, the mountains, the sky, the trees. My relatives touched my spirit nudged it lovingly. Listen to us, impatient one. We are forever. You must remember the gentleness of time. You are struggling to be who you are. You say you want to learn the old ways. Struggling to learn when all you must do is remember. Remember the people. Remember sky and earth. Remember the people have always struggled to live in harmony, in peace. There's so many levels of, of beauty back home and anytime the media does portray the reservation or, or Native American people as we are today, it's, it's kind of a one-track a one narrative. It's always the poverty or the violence or the rape or, you know, it's the alcoholism, the drug use. It's, it's all those negative things. But when I think of back home, I think of our culture. It's so rich, you know. We have this culture and this language and these ceremonies and this way of life that is so unique. There's no culture in the world like our culture back home. And I didn't realize that until I left the res and went away to college and even when I came to Chicago. It's like the further I get away from home and the more I travel and experience the world to perform, the more I appreciate home more. One of the most beautiful things for me is the sense of community and family that we have back on the reservation. Economically, we don't have a lot, but if you go into those houses and spend time with those families, you'll see that we're wealthy in other ways. We really take care of each other. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm here today, because our ancestors had to go through horrible things. The US government trying to kill us, massacring villages, giving my people blankets when it, in the wintertime, but those blankets were infested with smallpox. They survived horrible things, and that was because we had that sense of family and that love to take care of each other no matter what. And that's part of the reason why it's hard to leave home too, because once you leave that, you don't have that structure or that love or that support anymore and you're just like, holy shit, I'm out here in the world alone. And that's why it's tough for a lot of native kids to leave the res and go away to school. And I experienced that too, you know, I had to get over it. So I think of stuff like that. I think of the beauty of the land, the beauty of our families and, and that deep love and connection that we have for each other and for everything, you know. We have this philosophy that founds our culture, Mitakuye Oyase, 
which means uh, we are all related. And that's not just humans, it's talking about everything. Everything is connected, everything's circular, it's related. What you do to one thing will affect another thing. And I also keep that in mind when I'm performing and making music. How is what I'm doing gonna benefit my community back home? How is what I'm doing gonna benefit my family and my people? Spirits experience human deeds but need not end. This is just one place of changes. Spirit life is forever if you want. The universe is your home. You can survive here. Do not let them kill you. Keep your spirit strong. For distant stars and distant drums are the memories of spirit infancy. Children of Earth, let the spirit live so you can grow in your place in the universe. I'd never been to Detroit. I never been in Eminem's community, but he was talking about things that I could relate to. And I think that's, that's a powerful thing about hip hop. That's what I try to do. I speak both to the outside and to the inside. I'll make a song or I'll write a verse specifically speaking to the outside world saying, look, our, you know, our, our community, our native people, maybe may not be what you think it is, or there's more to us than you may think or than the media shows. But also in doing that, I'm speaking to my own people as well, because a lot of a lot of kids on my res and a lot of adults too, we've been so colonized that we've taken on that outside narrative and we've internalized it and it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, so just even me speaking to the outside, I'm also still speaking to my own people because not a lot of people are, are into social justice back home. And I understand why, because I wasn't that way before I left the res, you know, when I left home and, and seeing the way society looks at our communities and looks at my people. And if I never leave that community or, or never left the res, it's hard to see that there's more going on in the world, you know, you're just so caught up in, in, in the, the negative cycles back home that it's hard to see the larger picture. So even when I'm speaking to the outside, I'm still speaking to the inside, you know, and, and then by just by telling my story and telling my truth, I feel like I, I navigate and tell both of those stories because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly weaving in and out of those worlds. One time. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body this hood, politics, acknowledge it. So I found Marshall Mathers LP, and you know, at that point I'd never purchased or I didn't own any, any music. And I heard one mic through one of my cousins. I was driving with him in his car and I heard it. I was like, oh man, I really like that song. And then I just kind of did some research and seen it was on this album, Stillmatic. I didn't even really like understand albums or singles or anything at that point. I was just like, oh, I really like this song. So I went and I, I got Stillmatic. I didn't, I wasn't able to purchase it because of the parental advisory. So I had to talk my mom into it. And you know, that was the first time I ever like had my mom buy me a CD and she was kind of reluctant. She's like, I don't know, like, why can't you get it? And I was like, please, I just want it. It's this one song. And that was my first ever music purchase. The first time I ever owned music, it was Stillmatic. And it was because of one mic. So Eminem appealed to me in the sense that he was just like 
pouring these emotions out, you know, and and I could connect to that and relate to that. And Nas was much more controlled from an emotional standpoint, but just the intelligence of his lyrics, you know, and and how he was speaking to his own people and his own community in an empowering way. You know, like yeah, we got these problems, and you know, there's this violence, but uh, we need to step up. We need to make these changes, and no no one's gonna do it but us, you know. And I think that's what resonated with me as well as just that sense of agency to better himself and to use that platform to plant those seeds of empowerment in his own community. And also just from a stylistic standpoint, you know, on every level, from the production, from the beats, the drums, the samples, to his, his, his vocals, the way he's rapping, even the tone of his voice created this sound that you knew was so unique to that context, to that place, to that community. And I feel like that's what I want to do with my music, is create this unique sound that you hear it and you can picture that community that I'm coming from. Musically, you know, lyrically, vocally, it just sounds like that place. All I need is one life, one try, one breath, I'm one man. What I stand for speaks for itself. They don't understand and want to see me on top. Too egotistical, talking all that slick shit the same way these bitches do. Wonder what my secrets is. Niggas will move on you only if they know what your weaknesses. I have none. Too late to grab guns, I'm blasting. Cause I'm a cool nigga. Thought I wouldn't have that ass done. Food you niggas, what you call an infinite brawl. Eternal souls clashing. War gets deep. Some beef is everlasting. Complete with thick scars. Brothers knifing each other up in prison yard. I heard that song and I knew I wanted to rap. I knew this is what I wanted to do. You know, I can't sing, I could never sing, but I, I wanted to find a way to tell my story and that just seemed to connect with me so well. And I was a very introverted, shy kid, so I didn't talk about, you know, my issues or things that were going on in my head with people. But I found when I sat down and started writing rhymes, I could talk about those things. So I just started writing these poems, and then sooner or later I, I wanted to start making songs. And no one back home that I knew made beats, no one had a studio. So I started um, you know, just researching ways to record music, how to make beats here and there. I got a, a drum machine from a pawn shop. No instructions or anything, it took me about three months to figure out how to program drums. But I learned, I taught myself. I was always interested in, in piano and playing the keys. I took one year of lessons in third grade. And uh, back when I was in fifth grade, I was in a traditional drum group at my elementary school. We sang traditional Lakota songs every morning. I started playing drums in our high school pet band. So I had all these elements building up inside of me and contributing to this, this sound, which I would soon create. I started building my own home studio because like I said, I didn't know anyone who could help me do this and I was a stubborn kid. I still am a stubborn kid. I had the mind state that I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this myself, I'm gonna teach myself and I'm gonna make this music no matter what because it was just inside of me, you know, and it's still inside of me. And you know, now I, I found that I can use my music to, to influence people or to um, plant seeds of change within my own community and also in a larger society. But that's how, that's how it all started with hip hop.
for the money, yes sir, two for the show A couple of years ago, I'm headlin' and the low What's the starter? Something good Where me and my nigga rode the martyr Through the hood, just trying to find that hookup Now every day we looked up at the ceiling Watching ceiling fans go round Trying to catch that feeling off instrumental Had my pencil and plus my paper We caught the 86 flat on your head to Decatur, writing rhymes Trying to find our spot off in that light Light off in that spot Knowing that we can rock, doing the hole in the wall club. This shit here must stop. Like freeze, we making the crowd move, but we not making no G's, and that's a no no. A one two, dope niggas in the catalog. Outcast. Outcast is a big influence on me, <laughs> and I always have really mixed feelings with Outcast because I forget the year, but Andre 3000 was performing at the Grammys, and he came out dressed like an Indian. He performed Heya, dressed like an Indian, and he had girls dressed like Indians, and they had like fake teepees, and they did this whole like play Indian thing, which uh, I take a lot of offense to when people mock our culture like that, you know? But when it comes to things like the feathers and, and all that, to Lakota culture and my people, those feathers are very sacred. I would say a mix between maybe a very religious symbol, like maybe even the Pope's hat and a Medal of Honor. Like, put those two together and that's what a feather is to us, an eagle feather. So, you know, to desecrate stuff like that is, is a huge disrespect to us. So I always have mixed feelings about Outkast because I love them, I love their music, I love their sound. But then, you know, 3000 did that and I don't hold it against them. I, I forgive, but I don't forget. But um, their appeal to me is that, of course, they're these very unique MCs who have these crazy styles, but they also worked with organized noise. They created this unique sound, again, this sound that it was unique to that community, to that place, and it was completely new. It had familiar territory, it was a mix of the old, it was a mix of this, this culture that they were growing up in, and it created something new through a hip-hop lens. Outkast's catalog is a huge inspiration on me, just in that fact alone that they broke borders musically because they had their own production team. And I look to that because I'm a music producer myself, you know, I make my own beats. Okay, how can I take elements of my community and my culture and blend it with hip hop to create this unique sound? I stopped at the mall the other day, heard a call from the other way that I just came from. Some nigga was saying something, talking about smoke something. <laughs> no, not really, but it kept smiling like a clown, facial expression looking silly, and it kept asking me, what kind of car you drive? I know you paid, I know y'all got Buku with posts from all them songs that y'all done made. And I replied that I've been going through the same thing that he has. True, I got more fans than the average man, but not enough loot to last me. To the end Musically, and also just stylistically, it's so... It's so genuine, it's so true, you know, you listen to it. And even I can relate to it in the chorus when they say me and you, your mama and your cousins too. It's that family, you know, that connection, that sense of, well, it's not just about me, it's about everyone. That's how it is back home whenever we have to take care of each other because we don't have a lot. But yet, you know, it's different for me because the sound is so unique to Atlanta and their community. And I can listen to it and I can just picture, you know, them chilling back home with their, with their people. Me and you, your mama and your cousin too, rolling down the strip on boats, coming up slamming Cadillac doors. Me and you, your mama and your cousin too, rolling down the strip on boats, coming up slamming Cadillac doors. Me and you, your mama and your cousin too. To me, that, that's really cool how he has so many different styles and he's never bound down by a particular genre or um, a particular label. 
not label as a music label, but a label as in a style of music. And to me, that's inspirational as well, because a lot of Native American musicians, artists, rappers, they get pigeonholed into native rapper, you know, native singer, native this, native that. And I feel like that's very limiting for native artists. And, and I've had some older people tell me that who are in the industry, you know, when I started out, they're like, you don't want to get pigeonholed. And I've always made it a point to do that. I never want to present myself as a native rapper because that's limiting not only in my audience, but as far as things I'll be able to do with my music. I always just want to put out there that I'm an artist, I'm a hip-hop artist, but I'm Lakota and I'm speaking about my community. But there's points of relatability no matter where you come from in life. Like, for example, I made this song for my mother two years back. It was her birthday. I went back to the res my first year after going to school here in Chicago. I was dead broke, didn't have any money, couldn't find a job back home. My mom's birthday was coming up. And I was stressing about what I was going to do for her for her birthday. So I decided to make her the song. I was like, I have this studio. I have this gift. I'm just going to make her a song. So I made my mom this song. And I was speaking from my heart. I was just telling the experience of being a son raised by a single mother. That's it. You know, there was nothing about being native or none of that. The music style is definitely native because I like integrated some traditional singing type in the chorus. But as far as lyrically, it was just being raised by a single mother. And every time I perform that song, someone always comes up to me afterwards and they're like, you know, it doesn't matter. They'll be white, they'll be black, they'll be Latino, whatever. They'll be rich, they'll be poor. I've had all across the board, they'll come up to me and say, hey, I was raised by a single single mother and I could, I felt everything you were saying on that song. That, that human, human emotion creates pathways of empathy across these borders that society sets up around us, you know. Another thing that 3000 really showed to me is that you can appeal to any type of people, no matter their race, socioeconomic status, if you just don't pigeonhole yourself into these genres and these styles and these labels. But I was stubborn, I know that I make it hard. You always said, son, I know you're gonna make it far. Believe that I need that in dark times. I think of what you did for me in my heart shines. You took my hand up this mountain, made it your climb. So when I shine, mom, you shine. Yeah, single mother with the all stack. Raise the king, one day he'll bring it all back. My people have been storytellers for thousands and thousands of years. One of the reasons why hip-hop resonates with youth back home is we got that in our spirit, we got that in, in our beings is the need and the want and the ability to tell our story and that's very prevalent in hip-hop is people telling their story. And like I said, if I could sing, I'd be up here singing my ass off. But I found a way to tell my story and hip-hop gave me that vehicle. Traditionally, our, our music and our songs are just, just doing a drum. And I mean, that's basically what hip hop is, you and the drums. And so there's so many parallels there for me, the storytelling, the simplicity yet effectiveness of the music. And it doesn't even have to be simple, but it's powerful. Those drums are powerful. Those words and those stories are powerful. And, and even like back home, when people speak our language, Lakota, it's spoken from the gut and with passion. I hear the same thing when I listen to great MCs, that feeling and that emotion authenticity and that relates to the authenticity that I that I feel when I think of our own music
raise the king. One day I'll bring it all back. You know, nowadays, especially right now, I'm working on a new album. I, I try to situate these indigenous issues in a way where I'm saying, you know, like, look at this isn't just a native issue. This is a everyone's issue because as long as as long as we don't have rights and it's never acknowledged that no matter where you are in this country, you're sitting on stolen land. How can we have justice in this country if you never acknowledge that foundational injustice? Whether you're native, white, black, you know, Hispanic, whatever, everyone's freedom is tied up in, in, the, in this social injustice that's happening in this country and, and happening in our communities. I definitely went through, and, and you can hear it on my EP, I went through an angry Indian phase where I was just like, fuck society and fuck the system. And I'm just so mad at the way the world treats my people, you know? And, and that, that was kind of toxic for me, but I, I needed to go through that phase. And, I, and I've heard other native artists, other native activists or people who've left the reservation say they went through that same thing. You know, when you realize the injustices that happen to your people and how they manifest themselves today, you get frustrated and you get angry at first. Whereas now I, I try to approach it more at my music and my message and my work out of a source of love. Love for my community, again, it's that, that philosophy, mitaku yeoyase, everything's related. You know, you gotta love everything, you gotta love everyone no matter what. This isn't just an indigenous issue. Yeah, this is happening to my community, but as long as, as we're not free, then no one's really free. You know, as, as long as you don't acknowledge uh, the injustice that was done to my people, how could we really say we're, we're achieving justice for anyone? song yes coyotes dance is it yeah so this is um by an artist who's a huge influence on me Robbie Robertson I don't know if you guys are familiar with the band you know they backed up Bob Dylan for a while and then they had their own career but Robbie Robertson is their lead guitarist and he's a Mohawk he's a Native American and I didn't know this until a couple of years ago so you know I, I started looking into him and and he has his own solo career he has this album called Robbie Robertson and the Red Road Ensemble is the name of his band. The album's called Music for Native Americans. And it was the first time from front to back that I ever heard an album or music where it blends Native American sounds and musicality so seamlessly with a contemporary music form. You know, he's blending it with this progressive style of rock. And it doesn't sound like two things coexisting or competing. It sounds like one thing. And I want to do that, but with hip hop.
got these crazy indigenous sounds. He's got he's got Native American singers on there. He's got flute playing. He's got um, traditional drum in there. But he does it in such a way that you listen to it and you're not like, wait, these two things don't go together. You just listen to it and it just makes sense. And I think it all goes back to the foundations, my first encounters with music. You know, I said I took piano lessons in third grade. I sang in a drum group when I was in fifth grade. Found the Marshall Mathers LP when I was in sixth grade. Those three elements basically define my sound today. I'll put a hand drum in almost every one of my songs nowadays. E even if it doesn't stand out, you know, it's, it's steady. Um, in our culture, that's the heartbeat of our people when we're sitting there around the drum and we're singing. And there's power in that. Like I said, it, first time I heard hip hop, there was power in those drums. That was that point of connection for me. I feel a need to to put that heartbeat in my song, to, to ground everything, to represent the heartbeat of my people. This past fall, I had a, I had a residency in New York City with the Hip Hop Theater Festival through a non a nonprofit program that helps native artists back home that I have a grant with. It was my first time in New York City. I went out for a week, stayed in Brooklyn. I'd go up to their offices in Harlem. Um, we went to the Bronx and the whole root of this residency of mine was a cultural dialogue between me as a Lakota person with my Lakota culture and hip hop culture. You know, I got to go to the birthplace of hip hop and man, I kicked it and talked with people who were there when hip hop was born, you know? And to have them, you know, listen to my story, they tell me their story, we found points of connection, you know, there's parallels between how I grew up and, you know, the environment they were growing up in. And it's all started clicking and making sense to me, you know, this is why hip hop resonated with me. This is why hip hop resonates to kids back on the res. We're growing up in similar environments, even though we're worlds apart and these these communities, these cultures, you know, they don't have any connection, but yet that that hip hop music has been that. there for a week in the summertime they put me up in the studio the last two days of that week I mixed and mastered my song Aboriginal out there with an engineer and even even that was an experience alone I came in I had every everything of that song recorded you know I had the beat arranged and they put me with this engineer he's this old Brazilian guy named Charlie Dos Santos and he's worked with Public Enemy, Ice Cube, Old Cat, Engineer, you know straight New York guy I was like all right man so I have this song I, I want to mix it and so we sat down and man, he, he brought a life out of my music that I never heard before. He made it sound like that song came out of New York. It was grimy, it was gritty. When I made the song and when I arranged it out and produced it, it was very musical, it was melodic, it was electronic. And Charlie's like, you know what, there's this grittiness, there's this rawness buried deep inside here. And I kind of want to put all those other elements to the side and bring out that grittiness. 
I was like, all right, well, let's see where this goes. And he did, and the way that he mixed it, and I was like, holy shit, man. Like, I've never heard my music sound like this before. And and that kind of dictated the, the sound of, of my new album that I'm working on. Young boy, I'm leaving home, all alone. On the res, I grew up unknown. With my stone. The world said I couldn't be a king. But in the city, I could see a throne. Feeling like the king of the damned in the kingdom of sand. Building castles as my freedom expands. To watch it fall down as the tides roll in. I never seen a storm come without a wind. And so I so that was my first week I spent out in New York City. And then in October, the Hip Hop Theater Festival brought us back out to perform. The then director of the Hip Hop Theater Festival, a really cool guy, brother of mine now named Clyde Valentine, he was like, I, I remember when uh, First People's Fun told me about you, they're like, we have this uh, Lakota rapper, maybe you guys can link up. And he's like, you know, everyone was telling me great things about you. He's like, I'm from New York City, man, I have to hear the music. Like, if the music ain't there, I ain't, I ain't gonna mess with you. And he was like, you know, I listened to your music, and then he called me up and we chatted and I didn't know then he was kind of like interviewing me and, and filling me out musically and, and uh, intellectually but he was like pretty much told me that I passed I passed all his qualifications being in New York City you know put me and my buddies that I perform with the hoop dancers they put us on as the headlining act our first show in New York we went out and we performed and man everyone loved it like people afterwards were coming up and they're like yo I don't know what I just heard and what I just experienced but you move me in such a way that words can't describe the way I feel right now. And to hear that from a hip hop community in New York City, you know, is really reaffirming for a kid from middle of nowhere, South Dakota, who found this Eminem CD and is like, I want to rap. Damage to the perception of who I am. Self-destruct when I self-construct my own plan of my identity from their affinity to rape the culture. They break the land. Shaming in the end just to save the man. But this in the end never dies. One of the main takeaways, you know, anyone listening to this interview, native and non-native alike, and hopefully can be taken away from my story, is just realizing that when you're talking about um, Native Americans, our communities are a lot more complex and diverse than, than people may think. And even though I'm telling my story, that certainly isn't the only story. I just hope that people understand that there's complexities and multiplicities to our community that, that I can't even convey, that I can't even express, you know? And I'm, I'm only out here telling my story. So just when you listen to my story and you can relate to it, take that in, but understand that there's a million different other stories out there from Native people in the world, and mine is only one. It's 2013, our chiefs are all shot. Digital blankets give us spiritual smallpox. Certain revelations arise, and my path becomes a clear reservation. Skies and I could use a little hope sometimes, because I was dead broke when I wrote this rhyme. So faith in myself, what I'm supposed to find. Play cultural red rover, and I broke the line. I blew right past it, rap few like acid. Mind of an activist, my cult is suicidal. Who mastered hip hop to fight his battle? Saddle up this beat and let my rhymes unravel. Yeah, oh God, call your cavalry. Hip-hop matters for me because it forced me to grow up. Through hip-hop, I found my sense of agency, that colonization, and the horrible things that happened to my ancestors robbed from me. Before I found hip-hop, I was just this res kid, shy, introverted, sitting back home thinking I had no purpose in life. Hip-hop gave me purpose, it gave me agency, it gives me a way to work towards myself and my people being happy, healthy, and respected.
Down for the open. Get all around, look around, and the whole thing.